Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. The following panel is brought to you by the Sundance TV HQ at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival. Enjoy! And um, I am so happy that after the last two years, we have yet another fantastic and incredible group of women that are joining us on the stage, starting with Golden Globe-nominated actress and producer, Carrie Washington, who is here <laughs> as, as executive producer at the, of the Sundance documentary, The Fight, and star and executive producer of the upcoming Hulu limited series, Little Fires Everywhere. Hmm. I got this out. <laughs> we have writer, director, producer, and Golden Globe-nominated actress Frankie Shaw, who has <laughs> three series in development <laughs> and is currently working on a very big project that she will tell you all about in a little bit. Um, she's an Anishinaabe filmmaker and writer, and here in Sundance with her short film, Lichen. Please welcome Lisa Jackson. And the Academy-nominated director and producer and at Sundance with her newest film, The Glorious, Julie Tamer. Okay, ladies, let's, let's sit. Um, we have been talking about the title of this panel for now, it's the third year in a row, Women Breaking Barriers. And I would like to know from each of you when was the first time in your career where you felt you have broken through the class ceiling, or as someone has called it recently, the cement ceiling? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to start? <laughs> Carrie's thinking. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think um, th with The Lion King 20 some odd years ago, uh, I was the first woman to win a Tony for directing a musical on Broadway. So that. <laughs> Talk about a male-dominated field in theater. <laughs> yeah, so that would be the first kind of in, a, in an overt way. But uh, I think we all probably feel, oh, I don't know, because I'm so much older, so I shouldn't speak for them. Um, it was happening all the time, you know? Because you just had to put blinders on. It just went like this, and you said, I have some place I want to go. And the main thing was to have people around you who wanted to go there with you. That was it. If you had collaborators and other people who saw it the way that you saw it, then you would go. So I think that the, these issues that we've been talking about not for a lot more than three years 
you know, I guess because I'm doing the Glorias, I've, I've, I, which is about the life of Gloria Steinem and all the other extraordinary women who are part of that story, uh, I'm aware that this is, this is such a long time, this story that we're talking about, which is, in a way, a drag. <laughs> I mean, I think we all feel that, that should we be still having panels like this at this time? We wonder about this every year. <laughs> every year you say, we say the same thing. But that would, be the, that would be the one that was in an obvious way, right. the glass ceiling. It does feel the things are changing, like all the movies here this year. Yes. You know, there's so many movies here by women and people of color, people who like don't, you don't, didn't typically get to come here 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to not say scandal, right? Because um, there was so much attention when scandal first premiered that there hadn't been a woman of color as the need of lead of a network drama in almost 40 years. Um, that was like the, the first the parenthetical Carol, title right? of the, um, yes. Um, uh, I guess I think, but I think <clears throat> it will be exciting when the only firsts we are talking about are the innovations in our creative endeavors rather than the identity politics around the work we're making. Yeah. Not that I'm not proud for when we achieve, it's extraordinary. <clears throat> I'm grateful for the achievements, but when we don't, <clears throat> excuse me, when we don't have to mention the statistics because we just live in a space of equality and inclusion, mm-hmm. that is the goal to me. Lisa, you said something really interesting to me before we came down, and that is that in the indigenous community, women have always dominated the artistic field and other fields. Yeah. Can you well, talk a little bit about your whole story, your upbringing? Yeah. Well, uh, I come from Canada. I live in Toronto. I'm Anishinaabe, and I'm part of a really thriving community of indigenous filmmakers, including Elmaya Tailfeathers, who uh, Ava DuVernay's company has just picked up their feature film. And over the last, I'd say, 15 to 20 years, there's been this kind of North America and worldwide resurgence of indigenous filmmaking. And the guys feel a bit left out. (laughs) Uh, Amongst us, the powerhouses are the women filmmakers. Like I would say in Canada, I think we're somewhere 70, 80%. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that reflects a matriarchal society that still exists and a kind of respect that's given to women that you can really feel. And you can feel it on a set that, say, has a huge amount of indigenous crew. You feel the way that the men are with the women and the way that the women lead a set, uh, which looks really different. And it's I've been on my friend's sets, and it's just so inspiring to see a set led by community and values uh, that are driving the project rather than the sort of more hierarchical kind of military style that we may be used to, yeah. Um, obviously, Julie, you have directed operas and, 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 and a lot of theater. Mm-hmm. That is even more male-dominated than <laughs> the film industry, correct? Yes, but changing now. Changing. It, is, it is changing. But it has been, yes, definitely. And um, talking about, because, because I know you talked about how different it is to be on a female-run set, as actors as well as producers and directors, how do you, how do you, how have you, what have you experienced in terms of the difference? What is the difference? Is it more mothering? Is it, <laughs> is it nicer? Is there less yelling? Um, I like work. I like work for all kinds of people, men, women, 
cisgender, trans. I like working for all kinds of people. Um, I do want to say that because I don't want to act as if like, oh my goodness, working for a set led by a man is the worst. Like, that's not that's not that has not always depends been the case. Depends on the man. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, it depends on the man. I have worked for men who are not great, um, but that's not. It's not solely because of gender. Um, but I will say there was a, a there has been a lot of learning for me in working with women um, and both women who I've worked for, um, like Ava or Shonda Rhimes, and also women who I've worked with, like my partnership with Reese. Um, there is a real opportunity. Um, Reese and I produce Little Fires Everywhere together. But, and working for Frankie when I directed at her show, um, that there is a real, um, I've been very lucky to be, <clears throat> not necessarily mothered, but encouraged and led toward excellence by people who are not afraid of my light. And I have really found that that's the case with a lot of the women I've worked with. And also that, you know, when I was pregnant with my first child and I told my then boss, Shonda Rhimes, um, that I was pregnant, I know that a lot of men I was working for at the time at that network in the studio, their immediate thought was about the complexity of the challenges they would have to face by having the number one on their show be pregnant. My boss, Shonda Rhimes, just literally jumped up and down with joy in my trailer and was like, we'll figure it out, and had faith in me and faith in the, faith in the process that it would be fine, and, and knew that I would work hard to do everything I could to maintain the level of excellence of the show and, um, and that we would be okay. So it's those kind of small moments that I think are actually tremendous. They did figure it out beautifully. You had a lot of... Uh Beautiful handbags. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the Prada bags got bigger and bigger. Because clearly the character wasn't going to get pregnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that uh, <coughs> I was looking this up just recently. The first woman that was ever nominated for a directing Academy Award was Lena Wertmüller in 1976, who's Italian. Mm -hmm. The second woman was Jane Campion, who's Australian. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the numbers outside of the US, they have always been better for women mm -hmm. than they have been in the US, which is something I personally don't understand. Maybe one of you has an explanation. I don't know. Um, uh, it is thankfully getting better, as we've heard from Carrie Putnam especially. Mm -hmm. what, why do you think, is it, are we living in a very patriarchic society more than any other Western civilization here? Yes. <laughs> yes, I Your think answer. so. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you just, let's just talk about the presidency. We, we, what, what, are we, what are we talking about here? There are, there are, there's Germany, you know, Germany was incredibly patriarchal and then look who's been the leader. How did that switch happen? I mean, we, there is still a discussion on can a woman win? Well, yes, if it's not rigged and it's not the electoral, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, a woman did win, but not with those other rules. We have, we have too many, our democracy is really uh, holding back our lack of democracy or our failing democracy. We've got a problem right now, and that's, that's really what's holding back the leadership uh, of women. But I think I think that, that you know, when you see the Glorias, you'll see a point where Gloria Steinem wrote an article right after the election where she talked about Hillary's loss 
as what would come out of that. That reaching that glass ceiling, or whatever we want to call that, is not a straight line. It's a, it's a jagged one. And that women will be on the shoulders of other women, and in a very positive way. And I think that the Congress that now is in our country with the amount of women that entered the Congress and young women and women of color and women just is a sign of that. And if that can continue, I mean, we have a big problem ahead. I know that you all may not agree with me, but the Senate is the next place we must go so that the real changes, it's the Senate. If we don't <laughs> fail at the very top, we have to take this road up there. And uh, women, I'll tell you something about Broadway. I do feel probably men will just get, the, uh, the Broadway guys will just be pissed as hell, but I, I do feel oh, that wow. many of the women that I know who, who were directors in Off-Broadway, really, really interesting directors, they didn't care about Broadway. Quite honestly, they cared about the content mm -hmm. of the plays that they were doing. Whereas a lot of the men that I know who were doing one musical app or revivals or this and that really cared about doing the big thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because the expectations of women have been pressed down for so long that they found their voice in what was meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. So what you see with even the films that are out there that did not get recognized, the women's films, whether they're good or bad, I mean, it, there's not a judgment on did we have great films that didn't get recognized. They were personal films. They were films that these women wanted to make. Then there are women who do want to make the Marvel comics and do want to do Wonder Woman's and, you know, and they will. They're, they're doing it. We are getting it. But I think we also have to look at a lot of women want to tell specific stories. And we should admire that as well, even if it's not lauded by the Golden Globes or Academy Awards. Do you, you know what I mean? I think that that, that is, is as important as anything. Are women out there making stories that they want to make to audiences who want to see them? That's what we should be celebrating, because that is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting that you say that last year we invited a man on this panel, the producer Cassian Elvis, and he had this one quote that got picked up everywhere where he said when he sits in meetings with other executives, he tells them they must hire women because women are great business. And he says it doesn't just reflect in the, in the box office, but exactly what you just said, the stories that they tell. So. Um, what do you feel has improved in the last, uh, ever since the movements really started? I mean, we've been, as, as Carrie mentioned before, we've been talking about this for a long time. But uh, uh, what has really changed and improved in the past years that you noticed? We did something on uh, SMILF where uh, we had every department head, um, every department had had to hire 50% women. So you would hire whatever department head was available and best for the job, but that department had to be 50% because a lot of times if you, you know, if you're not sort of like into looking into that and monitoring that, then they're just going to, and if you're hiring a PA or an assistant, it's just like your friend's little brother, you know, and so then the department is like the majority just like your department head. And so that on a very small scale level, I feel like, uh, changed at least like who was coming up, and I think if you, like there's you can start the small, yeah, mm -hmm. like that, and then I'm sure there's like much bigger ways also to where things are changing. But that kind of stuff is happening. 
And maybe I could speak to that um, again from the Canadian Indigenous perspective. We did a study and, you know, when we were looking at our filmmakers, it was uh, a lot of the Indigenous filmmakers were like punching way above our weight. We were just like winning awards everywhere. Our films were going around the world. But we had this barrier that we weren't getting funded for features. And these shorts were just outperforming. It was amazing. And it took a lot of activism uh, to kind of, in our case, we have a lot of government funding. We're lucky uh, to sort of force the government to recognize that somehow our feature scripts were never up to snuff. And so for about the last three years, they've been funding these features. And they have been sweeping the awards, you know, and making inroads here in the U.S. and around the world. And so a lot of times we think that we're, celebrating the highest, you know, the most meritorious scripts. Uh, but that just goes to show that when you open the doors, there's this unconscious bias that's been keeping people out, and you'd be amazed what emerges. And I think that's why the people that make the decisions need to reflect the people that are watching all the movies, so that uh, they don't just choose all the same suspects mm -hmm. and we get the kind of diversity that we're all missing, I think, on the landscape. Mm -hmm. Carrie, when did you or did you feel you wanted to become or go into producing to give you more control over exactly that to get get things made to get things funded and use your your considerable fame at that point uh, for that to get behind the camera and make the decisions? Yes. <laughs> and emphatic, um, yes. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I started really producing because. Um, I wanted to have that proverbial seat at the table, a voice in the room. I want, you know, if I was going to work at the level that I was working, the number of hours I was working, putting out the level of energy I was working, that to not be part of the team that gets to decide what the direction of the content is was starting to be frustrating for me. Um, and I just wanted to honor my ability to be part of the team that could create content, not just embody it. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And also to give, I mean, when I, the film that we brought to the festival is a documentary called The Fight. It's um, unprecedented access into the ACLU. These lawyers are like the real deal Avengers. They are at the <laughs> front lines of this battle against our civil liberties that we are fighting in this country right now. And you know, for me, I, I didn't necessarily think of myself as a documentary filmmaker when I started a production company, but I know what stories I think need to be amplified, and I know what voices I think are on the periphery that need to be centered. And so for me, it's about using whatever access and privilege I have to center those voices and to push artists and artisans and filmmakers toward their own excellence, whether I'm on screen or not, so that our stories reflect more of the reality of who we all are, that we may all feel seen and heard and, and truly believe that we are the center of our own stories in our own lives and have the ability to be the protagonists and the heroes in our own communities and homes and neighborhoods and countries. Because I, I think for me, one of the things that's so exciting about the fight is that not all of us are going to go to law school to, to like battle the Supreme Court. 
but you realize when you watch the film that they need us out in the street protesting and making phone calls and writing letters as much as we need them standing before those justices fighting mm -hmm. for our rights. Mm -hmm. And so you understand that although they are the superheroes, they're also like desperately trying to take their kids to school and trying to figure out how to mm -hmm. keep their phone from losing its charge. They're just normal people. <laughs> and if they can like figure out how to use who they are for good, so can we all. Um, so, you know, whether it's Marvel or whether it's the ACLU, this idea of like we get to be part of deciding who the heroes are, that to me is, is part of what progress looks like. Mm -hmm. That's a great span. Yeah. Marvel to ACLU. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Frankie, you want to say? Yeah. yeah. What was I going to say? Oh, just that uh, you can't be like, what you don't see. Mm -hmm. I really believe that. And um, as, like when I was in college, I that's like why I started acting first, because I didn't actually really see uh, women directors at all, or know about it, know about the women who were directing. And so on one hand, the exposure now is like so amazing for like the people coming up. And that, um, that does seem to be like part of the change that like now with technology, you can go and make a short film with your allowance, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so just that the, that, that's like representation matters for the systemic change. And also that women em are empowering other women. I mean, yeah. you will be very happy to know that I had a direct, the only show I had ever directed was Scandal. And I met and saw Frankie at the Golden Globes mm -hmm. um, in a year we were both nominated. And I was like, I mouthed to her across a party, I love your show. And she mouthed back, come direct. And <laughs> Smilf was the first show I directed outside of Scandal. And Carrie's a effing incredible director. <laughs> and I was like, you need to go direct what, like, the Marv, whatever it is. And she's like, I don't, I don't know, we'll see. But yeah, um, but that's the, yeah, women supporting women, it's the only way. Solidarity is the only way. It's the only, it's the only thing that's ever instigated change, mm -hmm. you know? And, and then there's um, the idea of, like, the discussion of power. And we all know one version of power. We all know one very, like, you know, one vision, one visual of power. And so I think the conversation of like, like for me growing up, I didn't think I had a voice. Like I didn't think I had all the things that you actually need to have when you're in a position of power. Mm -hmm. And so just the fact that like, that there's conversations happening and that we can have each other's back when you are given power, I think is, um, is just tantamount to our, our success as a, as a community. Mm -hmm. Julie, I actually, I have to admit this. <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. Before I knew you, I actually thought you were British because of your background. Because you grew up in Indonesia, in Sri Lanka, in India, and you seemed so incredibly international that it was sort of like, she must be British in, my, in, the, in the back of my head. Of course, then I met you and, and I heard you speak. Um, because Americans don't travel the world? <laughs> Wait, no, I just want to. You said that. No, no, no. no I, it was, I said it with a question mark. Like, was no. that the, was that, is well, that sort of the, I, I the just, cultural no, um, I just idea? Thought, well, actually, in the back of my mind, it was probably also that uh, a lot of these countries were colonies. Ah, okay. British colonies. Okay, got and it. That was really what was in I the back you. of my mind. <laughs> but to answer your question, yes, an, an amazing amount of Americans don't have passports, <laughs> which, you know, I 
cannot I currently it. have an expired passport, so <laughs> I'll just go down there, get down there and get one. <laughs> but what I was gonna ask you is how did this international upbringing inspire your take and your start in this yes. job and going into something that is really difficult like opera and theater? Well, I, I went to uh, Sri Lanka when I was 15 or 16 and lived uh, with a family. It was called Ceylon then, um, in the experiment in international living. And I had an appetite to travel because even as a child living in the suburbs of Boston, I used to go to Boston to Boston Children's Theater, where the where the young actors in that company were from Dorchester, Roxbury, they were not suburban kids. So from a really mixed race, mixed religions, mixed everything. So I was a traveler since I was young. And to me, then I had a fellowship after Oberlin um, to a traveling fellowship in visual theater and experimental puppet theater to Eastern Europe, Indonesia, and Japan. And I went to Indonesia for three months and stayed four years and started a theater company of Javanese, Balinese, Sundanese, masked dancers and actors. And, uh, and not until across the universe, all my work has been inspired, whether it was Frida or Juan Darien, which is an Uruguayan tale, or The Lion King, which is a mixture, because you can't say it's African. I mean, it's Hamlet, too. You know, I mean, Shakespeare has been appropriated by everybody. So um, the best Shakespeare is Kurosawa, I would say, if it's on a visual level. But uh, I, I found being outside my own culture to be a very, as an outsider, to be a really useful way to see my own culture or myself or your family. I mean, it's hard for me to self-self stuff. I find that hard. I, I, I find it hard to say myself. I mean, people are talking about to tell their stories, but but I wasn't interested in telling my story. What stories inspired me, which I guess are my stories, are other people's stories. They're the ones I've, I've found myself, the novels I read, the things I read would be from India or China or South America. Um, and I have a fellowship now because I, my life, I wouldn't be the artist I am if I hadn't spent that time in Asia. And it, it, we just talked about this. There's a difference between appropriating other people's cultures and, and using techniques or being inspired and letting it go inside you, come down, and then come out as your own vision. Respect and love. Respect mm -hmm. and love, appreciation. But everybody, if we're human and beings, real research. we are we are expanding our lives by borrowing. I mean, how many years have men told women stories? Mm -hmm. let's, let's just say it, and some of them very well done. And you, you say, how did they know? Well, we're human beings, you know? When I did Lion King and we brought it to, uh, the second company was in Japan. And uh, it's been there now for 22 years, two companies in Japan in Japanese, a Lion King, with all Japanese people, even though other places we always have an African core. This one is there. And I, my father fought in the, re in the revolution. My foot, not that one. <laughs> my father fought, fought in World War II. And I studied in Japan. And when I went back to Japan to cast it and see it with this Japanese company, it was the crossing over and the turning. It was almost the circle of life in that sense. But to go back, that was so important to me. I am very much about this with the way that I look. I think that it is absolutely critical that women are allowed to tell women's stories and that Native Americans, indigenous peoples, 
should be the voices of their stories because we haven't heard it from their point of view. But I'm looking forward again to a time without it being stealing, appropriating, colonizing, where artists just share their excitement. And that's what I've been allowed to live. Well, I think, yeah. I think I've been big, allowed to live that life. I think My collaborators are Jamaican, African. What? I think a big part of that is access, right? right? I think that when you, that, again, you've done it with, with a great deal of respect, but I think part of why, like, yes, we know that there have been tremendous examples of men telling women's stories. And that would be okay if women were allowed to tell men's stories at the same rate. Oh, I rate, completely agree right? with and you so there. And so to yeah. me, you're right. It's, it's important that women tell women's stories and men tell men's stories. But if that crossing over is going to happen where we tell each other stories, that it has to be with a commitment to equity. That it yeah. can't be that, that only a white woman is able to go in, into Indonesia and into Africa and into these places and bring back techniques and that the same can't happen for an African artist and be given a job by Disney to then have the same kind of success, right? That it's, a, you know, I'm a huge, you guys, I'm a huge Julie Tamar fan. Mm -hmm. I actually lived in India after college because I was so inspired by Julie Tamar. Um, <laughs> Like, for like a year, um, studied Katakali I mean, and Kalari Payet, the traditional yes. martial art that led to Katakali. I mean, it's, yeah. it's crazy. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> um, but again, like even as, as an undergraduate student who graduated from college and wanted to live in India, I knew inside that I may not have the same capacity to go to Asia and tell those stories as a woman of color as you did. Mm -hmm. um, no, no one gave me permission. You have to really know. I'm not talking about permission. I'm talking about structural resistance that leads to inequity and in access. Now, I, that is not to take away anything no, from how you I fought understand. and how you built that road for yourself. But, but, but just that, again, contextually, the resources, we all have to fight mm -hmm. so that we all have the same resources, mm -hmm. all of us. But this here. is the interesting thing, because, you know, I'm starting 40 years ago. Yeah. So forget oh, yeah. color. Just being a female. I won't forget color. I know. But, I know. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that, is that when I went to Indonesia, it was to study. I went for three months. I stayed four years. I never directed anything till Indonesia. So I found my voice yeah. outside of my culture. Yeah. This is something, and, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why. I was a big foreigner, big, mm. tall. Oh, hair on my arms, I don't have it anymore. But bula bula, it's called feathers. And there was, in Java, it's interesting, there's two words for people, halus and kasar. Halus is refined, kasar is macho, right? If you're a woman, you have to be halus. And people would always ask me, um, are you halus or kasar? I mean, I spoke the language in this, and I said, I don't, I can't answer that, because if I am to remain halus in your eyes, I, I can't direct. Mm. And, and this was something, you know, very fascinating that the perception of females, if I were to have the kind of vocal prominence and be able to go out there and command other people, I was slipping over into an unfeminine state. So, you know, our times have changed radically. And I think that uh, I, I, my first stories in Indonesia, Hui of Snow, Jalanya Salju, were very personal, but not done here. I mean, mm. done there. And I had a theater company there. But then the other thing is that I directed a lot of men's stuff because I directed Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. So I, I, at the time that I was directing Shakespeare, the person who offered me that first, which was Titus Andronicus, and then I made the film, but I did Titus Andronicus, I 
was shocked that he asked me to do it. Oh, so it was beautiful. somebody who saw something in me. It wasn't me just for going ahead with doing it. There's something I do want to say, though, which I think would be an interesting distinction. I think we have to, we're coming to a place, and it has been talked in the press, where um, women can be as badass as men. Uh, I don't like that phrase. I can't stand the word. And I think that's a big mistake. I don't think it's that women can just play the male roles just like the men. Even though I did Prospera, it was she was playing really a specific mother role, Helen Mirren, a very much a mother. She wasn't playing it as a male. And I think where movies have to change because the audiences want them to change, they do, and 50% of the population is female, but the men want it too is that the stories don't all have to end in bloodbaths. They don't have to have the excitement by this incredible uh, violence at the end. And you just take a look. I, I don't have to mention five or six of the main films now. We don't have to do that, but we can still excite our audience in a different way. And I think that's where we have power. And we, need to, it, we really need to use that power because people are hungry for that. Even just looking at the Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing, the documentary, uh, what, what was that, two years what ago? Was it last year, I believe. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. last year. Yeah. People were shocked that there was that big an audience for that. But they wanted to see what that woman's character was like. So we all have these stories that are, whether a man makes the story or women make the story, there, there's a whole nother world out there that's very exciting. But, and, and in The Glorious in particular, now I'm pitching my own film, uh, the greatest course. thing about Gloria Steinem is I that she's a listener. She's I a listener. She listens to people. She pushes them up. She's absolutely glamorous and has been her whole life, and she can speak at big, huge rallies. But if you follow her life, and you'll see this, her main thing is grassroots, go out, talking circles, listen to people. If you don't know how they live, you can't change how they live. You know, she's, uh, it's, it's really fascinating. And that angle, that different mm -hmm. angle on what women can bring, yeah. I think is what we have to really exploit and, and uh, make much of. And also, it being 2020, it feels like the solidarity that needs to happen is the fight for the equity and the fight that I wouldn't tell a story that someone else might be much more suited to tell. And it's like, and it, then we all, as any part of any sort of marginalized group from the capitalist oppression patriarchal society which we all feel and live every day that like that feels like it's it's so incredible that you achieved and you broke so many barriers and then it's also now what and now it's like the next step <laughs> and it does feel like the next step is this is the solidarity piece that seems to have been missing. Well, the, yeah. the circle, the community, the sharing. Yeah. 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 And That's women, very I mean, Gloria. if you look at, at yeah. some of the television, a lot of the women's stuff are women hating women, battling women, whether it's Desperate Housewives or whatever it is. And I know that makes for um, visceral TV. Uh, it's the, 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 the biting blood that comes out of the uh, jealousies and it's anger real life competition. Too. What? That happens in real life, too. I know, but what we haven't really done enough is what you were just saying, which right. is 
the positive nature of women supporting women or telling stories that are about women in, in, in the act of creation, in the act of politics, in the act of making things happen. And it can be sexy. It really can be. It can be, can be wonderful without, you know, without the bloodbath. Mm -hmm. Goodness and gentleness are sexy. <laughs> yeah, can I just, uh, there's a couple of phrases that we use a lot in uh, speaking about indigenous filmmaking in, um, we have said nothing about us without us. But another thing I talk about. Say that again. Nothing Oops. about us without us. Amen. Which, yeah. So, Amen. and that is, that doesn't mean every single person on set has to look the same. Yeah. It doesn't mean that. But one of the things um, that I've talked about and I feel strongly about is this idea, and we've all experienced this, is when you watch a movie that's about your community, and you know it's not an inside job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and what, what's so great yeah. about what we do is that it's not making television, making film is not writing poetry. It's not a solitary art form. No. Mm -hmm. So you can be a producer or a director and cross into other territory mm -hmm. if you make sure that the team mm -hmm. is reflective of the story. I mean, we, Making Little Fires Everywhere is such a great example of that because we are telling the story of two very different women. The, the woman that Reese Witherspoon plays, the woman that I play, could not be more different. It starts with race and it just, I mean, it from there, there, there could not be more different. And we came together to tell this story about these women and it's it, their, their worlds, being able to authentically tell their worlds required a level of personal vulnerability from each of us to be able to share with each other mm. some specificity about who we are and how we see the world and how that's unique because of how we were raised and how we were born. And that sisterhood allowed the work to deepen because we were willing to partner and to listen mm -hmm. and to collaborate and to honor each other's voices, as hard as it was at moments to say like, I need for my truth to be in there as much as your truth is in there. How do we do that in this mm -hmm. hour of television? But walking that walk together makes the work richer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would like to know from each of you, what is, not just what is next in terms of your projects. I wanna know that too, but I also wanna know what are your hopes and dreams for your work, your industry. The next step so that we do not have to have panels like this in 10 years. And we don't have to say, you know, 50-50, it's automatic. What are our hopes and dreams? Yeah, hopes and dreams <laughs> and your new projects. <laughs> well, you know, the, the glorious which you'll all see was, we haven't sold it yet. It was funded not for profit, not from Hollywood. If any money is made back, it goes to women's causes. I couldn't be more pleased about that. I was furious and angry that when we went to Hollywood, I was upset that we couldn't get enough money to properly tell this great woman and all the other women's tales because why would you spend more than $10 million on a woman's movie? Seriously, I mean, and then you say, or how many times do we see Winston Churchill? Or how many times do we see an LBJ? I mean, when are we going to spend the kind of attention and epic nature of this story that, that, that is Gloria's life? So my hope is that, that the movie, two things. One, I hope we get a good distributor and that it gets out there because I've had a problem with that, with distribution. I, quite honestly, I think mm -hmm. even Frida 
frankly, um, was, was difficult, cross universe, all of them, Titus. So my hope is that, that people can see the possibilities. I hope that, that movies are still put in movie theaters, even though I also think the television market or the fact that it can get to so many people is great. But there's nothing like being stuck in a room where you can't turn the TV off and go to the bathroom or go, you know, the refrigerator, where you concentrate. And that experience, I grew up that way. So I feel that's really important. I also really feel sad because I grew up with the Kurosawas, the Fellinis, the, that foreign films, that, that we don't have enough films from other countries that get out there, that we as Americans, this is, it is true that we are, like you said, we are too in, ingrown in ourselves and we think too much, we don't care enough, not, not just about each other, but also about the rest of the world. And so my hope is that there is much more pollination, cross-pollination, and also experiencing of these great movies that come. It's, 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 uh, it's interesting to see how the, what we call the foreign films make it into the public, like which ones get selected. There's so many great ones. If you saw Capernaum years ago, I mean, two, last year, I guess. Last year, yeah. It didn't really, it really didn't get out there. And it's a, it's a woman director, brilliant film, and yet, why not? So I, I'm for that. I, I really, really hope and dream. And then as far as my other projects, I have theater, opera, and film all. You have to do it at the same time. You have to keep them going. And some of them have been 20 years in the making. So. <laughs> One's in India, one's in Latin America. Um, one would be shot in, in Great Britain. It's an Erica Jong project. Uh, Fanny Hackabout Jones, television. I haven't done that yet. So, you know, Great. various things. Lisa? Yeah. Um, I'm really excited, you know, I know it's not a woman, but Taika Waititi is partnering with Sterling Harjo, and he's doing everything, which is amazing and so inspiring for all of us to see what he's doing there. Uh, he's ripping it up, and he's going and working in Oklahoma with Sterling Harjo, making uh, an indigenous, you know, series which we haven't seen before with FX. Chelsea Wynn Stanley with Jojo Rabbit. She just came on as exec producer on my friend Dana Goulet's film. Like what I am seeing that I'm super excited about is like we're starting to move up. That's women. That's people from different communities, and we're getting to places. And what you see is like lending a hand, right? Mm -hmm. And going, you are amazing. We've known each other forever. I'm going to help you get your project made. So um, I'm really excited as our community, this community, the bigger community grows, the way in which even hearing you guys talk about how you're reaching out to each other and giving opportunities, I just think that is so powerful. And I look to Ava for a lot of that. Um, it's just so inspiring. So um, I have. Um, I have this little production company that we've had for about a year now, and I, um, I have this incredible partner, and we are developing a bunch of projects. Um, and um, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm directing a movie that I uh, wrote uh, for uh, that Steven Soderbergh's producing, a book he has. By the way, you heard it here first. Oh. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, my hope is just that we have this opportunity to come together as a community, and uh, you know, and we can. There's so much sort of like divisiveness and anger, and rightly so, in our community. And I feel like um, the more we keep talking about it, and the more we have these 
um, like conver healing conversations and the more we come together, the um, stronger we'll be as a whole to sort of fight this system that's been in place forever. And um, I just hope that uh, we, I keep evolving. Um, I'll just say like in this little company that um, we started, I've had this opportunity to, to sort of help other sort of new writers and that's been an incredible experience to sort of, um, you know, whatever I can do to pass on whatever I've learned and, um, and I hope we just keep doing that to each other. Um, thank you guys all for coming. I know it's not really my yeah. job to thank you, but I'm happy to be with you. <laughs> she's she's doing my room. closing remarks um, <laughs> for me. Just happy that, you know, we weren't, we weren't in an empty room talking. We, it would have been a great conversation anyway. <laughs> we're happy somebody was here. Um, I, I already talked about Little Fires Everywhere. It debuts March 18th. Um, right now I'm filming The Prom with Ryan Murphy. Um, and... Um, and see the fight, which is here at the festival. And and my company, Simpson Street, has uh, just a lot of stuff on the burner. You guys know how it is. You just got to create stuff. You don't know what's going to go from the three projects and the three countries and the you don't know. Um, so, uh, and I guess my hope is that, um, that we all just stay brave, that we all just stay brave and stay open to each other um, so that we tell that we're looking for the truth and listening to each other. That's it. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you all. I think this is the biggest panel that we've had here. Seems to be bursting at the seams, so thank you for coming. Thanks for listening. Subscribe for more panels from the 2020 Sundance Film Festival.